Green Shoots is supported by the Georgia Rural Center. Georgia's Rural Center exists to build healthy, vibrant rural Georgia communities with managed support and collaborative partnerships. To find out more about what they do and what they might be able to do for your rural community, visit RuralGA.org. Green Shoots is sponsored by Georgia Grown. As a division of the Georgia Department of Agriculture, Georgia Grown helps grow local agribusinesses. You can learn more and shop hundreds of Georgia businesses from the comfort of your home by visiting georgiagrown.com. Georgia knows best. Georgia grows best. Georgia Grown. Well, hey, Chris. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having uh, having me out again. Obviously, I've actually spent a good bit of time in the Stacy room, but not usually with microphones. So yep. um, it's a little little quieter than the last time we we talked like this. And I thought you said if we did more episodes that there would be some more wine samples coming. And I don't I don't see a, a bottle or glasses oh, yet. So well, why don't we save that till the end of the episode? That's probably a good idea. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. probably better that way. Well, I enjoyed getting to share your family story and the story of muscadines. It's been such an important part of of your life and, mm-hmm. and now what you do career wise but you said when we when we talked last time yep. that there were other stories like yours that we could kind of go explore and then share with folks and and let them know about some some other green shoots uh, right. that are happening in rural areas so where where should we go next well i know it's not a family farm it's not creating anything like we're doing but the sunbelt ag expo in moultrie okay i think would be a great place to start and it's been happening it's an annual event like a think of it like an outdoor agricultural equipment trade show okay and it's been going on i think since the 60s although it didn't start there Um, but it's in moultrie okay it's in moultrie Moultrie. now but didn't start there didn't start in moultrie all right but anyway but it's i mean it's huge and it has a really a a far-reaching impact here in south southwest georgia okay all right well, I'll go check it out, and uh, you pick out the wine when uh, when I get back. I'll have it picked out. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Rural is dying. Rural is dead. I hear people say that sometimes. The plight of the agricultural community that most of America identified with in the centuries gone by is now seen as a sad story. You read and hear about this in news stories. You often witness small towns and rural communities mocked in pop culture. It's true that more people live in metropolitan areas than rural areas in America now. You might look at those statistics alone and come to the conclusion that rural America is dying, that it's just a matter of time. But there's another side to the story. Rural areas may not be the quickest to change as the world changes. This sometimes creates a disparity in economic growth, and some people think that the rural-urban divide can never be spanned. But maybe you should think again. After a devastating natural event like a forest fire or a volcano, it may look like all life has been wiped out. But then we see something that seems miraculous. We see the green shoots. New life coming where all hope seemed to be lost. Revitalization. From the green shoots comes forth a lush forest and life returns with vigor. Sometimes devastation is economic coming in the form of widespread layoffs, business closures, and even regional and national recessions and depressions that wipe out immense amounts of jobs and wealth, economic carnage from which it may have seemed there could be no recovery. Since the early 1990s, economists and business reporters would often ask after such a devastating event, where are the green shoots? And when some bit of positive news can be reported, they might ask, are these the green shoots? 
as if to hope for the return of a new and revitalized economic life. I've traveled through a lot of small towns and rural communities in my life's journey, and I can honestly tell you, rural communities have seen better days. There are struggles and challenges that seem overwhelming at times. The problems seem big, but ironically, the solutions are small. Small steps forward, small business success, small but sustainable gains in job creation and overall growth. A family farm attracts tourism. A traditional company finds a new way to innovate. I've seen the work ethic and the innovation in action in many rural communities. Small towns are making a comeback. Where it may have appeared to be devastated, revitalization now emerges. And I'm ready to show you the green shoots. I'm Mayor Matt Seal. Come go with me. Green Shoots is sponsored by the Georgia Development Authority. The Georgia Development Authority's mission is to create opportunities for Georgia farmers. GDA strives to help Georgia farmers create better opportunities for themselves and their agribusiness by providing insured farm loans to qualified applicants and also providing scholarships to invest in the next generation of farmers. To find out more about their programs and to see how the Georgia Development Authority is helping to ensure a bright future in Georgia's agriculture, visit gdaonline.com. So on the recommendation of my good friend Chris Palk, I'm off to the Sunbelt Ag Expo in southwest Georgia, Moultrie, Georgia to be precise. Many people in South Georgia are very familiar with the Sunbelt Ag Expo that takes place every October, but even some people who are aware of its existence may have no idea how big and impactful it is for the entire agricultural industry. And not only throughout Georgia, I discovered that the event itself and the year-round activities on site have far-reaching impacts in the southeastern United States. Hi, I'm Chip Blaylock, Executive Director of the Sunbelt Ag Expo. I started here August the 1st of 1997. Before then, I was a county extension agent in Dooley County and Cockwick County from 87 to 90. And then I was in the livestock feed sales from 90 through 97 before I came to the expo at Moultrie Farm Center. Now, as you just heard, Chip has been with the Sunbelt Ag Expo organization for quite some time. So he was the perfect person to give us a history and the evolution through the years to what it has become. It actually started in Tifton, Georgia, as something very different than what it is today. You started, you said, 1997, but that's not the entire history of the Ag Expo. So, uh, no, so, we actually so take started yeah. the Sunbelt Ag Expo as a Dealer Days event back in 1964 on the ABAC campus. And okay. It was called Dealer Days. It was a student recruitment event. And it stayed on ABAC campus through the early 70s, and then it moved over to the what we now know as a conference center at UGA. We used to call it the RDC. Mm-hmm. And it was there until 1977 because they basically outgrew the ABAC space. In 1977, Dr. Joe Burnside had the dream and the vision to have a farm show in South Georgia like the Farm Progress Show in the Midwest. He had the fortune of meeting up with Mayor Willie Withers back in the day, mayor of Moultrie. Joe was looking for a place to have a farm show. Mayor Withers and Moultrie had an old Air Force base that wasn't being used for anything. And basically, the rest is history. His first show was (laughs) 1978. 
Our Expo Luncheon is still called the Willie B. Withers Expo Luncheon that we have on the first day of the show, where we name the Southeastern Farmer of the Year, sponsored by Swisher. That's just a brief bit of history. We have a long-standing relationship with ABAC and UGA. We're proud to be working together here all the way into 2021. I want to dig into that history because when, when things change like that over time, like you said, it was started as a recruiting event mm-hmm. on the Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College campus. What was, I guess, there was an evolution there before it got to, to where it is currently. So how did, the, how did the needs, how did the desires, what was it that sparked to, to grow and change? Well, I think what really grew from 64 to 77 was the dealer and manufacturer participation And as it grew, we had forward thinkers like Dr. Joe Burnside, who had the dream to have a farm show in South Georgia. We're basically the southeastern United States outdoor farm show. And I think the buy-in from those dealers and manufacturers led to the beginning of Expo. And, you know, the planning started in 77. The first show was 78. And everybody was on board rowing the boat in the same direction, so to speak. The show took off from 1978 through 2021. This year we'll celebrate our 43rd anniversary. Our goal here at the Expo is to continue to provide an environment for our exhibitors, the dealers, the manufacturers to come together with our farmers and attendees. And as a result of the educational process, the exhibitors sell their product services and technology. They love the hospitality that we give, but the business aspect to the show is what brings them back year after year. They actually come here to do business, do on-point sales, and sales throughout the year. They pick up sales leads. It's really cool to see that happen year after year and our exhibitors come back. Last year we had to cancel because of COVID. It was the right decision at the right time. 2021 is the right time to to relaunch on October 19th through the 21st. So we're real excited to be busy again, to be planning the 43rd annual North America's Premier Farm Show, the Sunbelt Ag Expo. You know, last year was supposed to be 43rd. The numbers will never match up again (laughs) since we did skip a year, but this will be the 43rd show in 2021. So you've seen a good bit of it. You obviously know the history going back before you were a part of it. How have things grown and changed? You talk about some of the benefits now as far as the networking from from companies that support agriculture and farmers. But how have things grown? I assume the attendance has probably steadily ticked up. It is, You it know, is- our, our attendance has been steady. You know, the cool thing is to see the new technology. You know, in 1997, we started introducing the global positioning systems. (laughs) It wasn't long before that was a norm in the marketplace. All of our tractors now have some sort of guidance systems on them to guide them through the fields. And for people that that may be not exposed at all, and this is the educational part that I hope this this episode does for folks in, in farming in general, how does that, people are like, what, you got GPS just in a, in a tractor? What is the importance of that, and how has that changed things and made things more efficient? It's made us more efficient from the standpoint that when we map the field out and follow the guidance of the GPS, we actually get more rows per field yeah. by not relying on the naked eye. It also helps with operator fatigue. We can run longer, more safely. The GPS systems has, has morphed into yield monitors, 
on our harvesting, whether it's combines or cotton pickers or, or, or peanut pickers. We started doing drone work in 2014. Now that's the norm yeah. to using crop scouting. Will there be a tractor without a, a cab or a driver one day? Probably so. We probably showed the first one back in the early 2000s, and that equipment and technology has been still being refined. You know, a lot of the automation technology has really, you know, even something as simple as our quick hitch systems that allow you to have that quick hitch on the back of your tractor so you can move from your from your hay rake to your hay baler to your hay moving equipment, just optimizing your time with doing something as simple as baling hay. You may be surprised to hear how high-tech agriculture has become over the years. Ironically, the image most people have of farmers is more behind the times than the actual farmers themselves. The amount of science and technology that is used to provide the world with food and fiber is staggering. You know, the biggest thing is our irrigation technology where we can use variable rate technology if we have wet spots in the field. We can skip over those parts with various towers of the center pivot. We can actually run the center pivots with our cell phone, our smartphone. (laughs) You know, Cody might get an alarm in the middle of the night saying he got a rain. You can shut the pivot off. He can do that with his phone. And we still kind of like to come out and look at it and make sure just to be, because it is machinery and it is equipment and, you know, to make sure. But, you know, just even if we do come look at it at 3 o'clock in the morning, we shut it off 30 minutes earlier, saving us that use of water. And that's one thing we're always looking for with the irrigation is how to even be better stewards of the environment, conserving the water that we put out on our fields. We have variable rate fertilizer. We grid sample our fields in small sections. We have applications to where we put out the right amount of N, P, and K on the right field at the right time as a result of our soil sampling. You know, our seed varieties. With our um, GMO varieties, we have to spray less. When you spray less, you're better stewards of the environment, whether it's pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, fungicides, We've had drought-tolerant varieties come up over the years. Again, using less water, optimizing the precious resource that we often take for granted. Um, We don't take for granted on the farm, but it's taken for granted in the big cities. In general, yeah, absolutely. You're hearing Chip talk a lot about research and discoveries that increase crop production while practicing good environmental stewardship. Some of that research takes place on the same site as the Ag Expo itself. The thing that makes us special here at the Expo is the ability to conduct the agronomic research on the Darrell Williams Research Farm to try and true the technology in row crops and Bermuda grass forages and seed and variety selection, crop protection, soil fertility, precision ag, irrigation. So when that technology is available to go to the farmers, it's ready to go to enhance their environmental and economic sustainability. You've already mentioned Cody, Cody Mitchell, Mm -hmm. your farm manager and the the farm crew. So that actually leads this next part. People 
when they think of Sunbelt Ag Expo, they may just be thinking about three days in October with, you know, tens of thousands of people coming. And, and, and you mentioned the 93 acres, but there's so much more than just those three days in October. And, of course, there's so much more preparation behind the scenes to get ready right. for those three days. So talk about the whole operation. You guys take up a lot of acreage right here in Colquitt County. I'll tell you what, our 530-acre, give or take, a acre or two research farm, where we grow cotton, peanuts, corn, soybeans, grain sorghum, sunflowers, Bermuda grass. Every one of those 530 acres is taken up with some sort of research project. You know, whether it be variety trials, trying new seed varieties. We have a variety trial in Bermuda grass with Dr. Lisa Baxter and Tifton at the Coastal Plains Station. We have the second largest pigweed research plot east of the Mississippi with Dr. Stanley Culpepper. That's good and bad. It's good that we have the second largest pigweed plot east of the Mississippi, but it also makes our control of pigweeds on the farm worse because we're doing that work. But it's all about advancing agriculture and finding ways for the farmers to be able to combat pigweed that's resistant to glyphosate. So with all that going on, it sounds like we need to talk to Cody Mitchell. Hi, I'm Cody Mitchell with the Sunbelt Ag Expo, and I'm the farm manager here on site. And Cody, how long have you been with uh, with Ag Expo? March of 2015. Okay, so you've been here, yeah, about six years now. Yep, okay. going on six years. What did you do before that? Where'd you grow up? Let's, let's get to know you. Grew up on the Tiff Turner line. I tell everybody I'm from <laughs> Tifton, you know, Turner <laughs> County gets looked at funny sometimes. <laughs> um, went to school in Tiff County, graduated from Tiff County in 2012, went to ABAC straight after that. Actually got a turf degree for Maybach. Okay. And here I am farming now. Cody actually worked some farming experiments when he was in college with a professor at the local experiment station with a relationship with the Sunbelt Ag Expo. He started working year-round at the facility and now is responsible for daily operations, which as you've already discovered goes well beyond a three-day annual event. But there is a very important component of his work that is very specifically for that three-day event. Does the farm manager... That's what, and I think people don't realize, you know, they see right. Sunbelt Ag Expo, and if you just pass the billboard on the interstate, you say, oh, cool, a, a trade show for farmers, but people right. don't realize there's actually a farm. So talk about the property and how much of it is the farm and what all's involved, because it sounds like you were on staff and now the manager, that means there is a staff. So That's just, right. just talk yes, about the farming aspect staff. of this. Uh, so, you know, it's a 600-acre operating farm. I mean, it's just like any other farmer. Yes, we do a ton of research. You know, that 600 acres feels like 1,200 acres sometimes. <laughs> but that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to do the plot work. Like I say, we grow cotton, corn, peanuts, soybeans, and we have 100 acres of hay. It's stressful at times. You know, we, we have the, uh, the expo three days out of the year. Right. And we're planting some of this stuff in March, April, and May, and it's got to come off those three days. Yeah. You know, a regular farmer, whenever it's time, it's time. But, right. you know, that that's a small that's window to hit out of 360-something <laughs> days in the year. But I love it. You know, I love it. And everything seems to work out great every year. Well, talk about the purpose, because like you said, there's you're growing something for a specific three days. So for people that have never been to Sunbelt Ag Expo, what is so important in, on, of the farm operation that has to happen in those three days? And what's, you know, kind of what where that fits into the actual three-day expo. Right. So it's great. You know, the the whole operating farm, like I say, is, is here for those three days. And those people can, can get on those trams when they show up here, come out to our farm and explore all 600 acres of our farm. You, you know, you can see 
all the equipment running. That's the main purpose that we have the farm. Besides the research is to, to get all the people that attend the show to get on the actual farm and see what an operating farm looks like hand on hand every single day and be right there, right there at it. Talk to professionals that run this equipment, that make this equipment, and really f- find the finer details of, of what farming is all about. So is it, is it fair to say, like I said, for people that, that maybe don't understand farming, they're listening to this to try to learn more about the agricultural side of, of Georgia. Maybe You need to be here and come see <laughs> that's this. That's right, that's right. But you're essentially, like you said, you're planting stuff as early as March. Yes. F- for the purpose of demonstration of, of an operating farm and the equipment that runs it and, and you know, for, for demo purposes on three specific on days three in October. three days out of the entire year. <laughs> no pressure. Yes, no pressure. And it's always the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the third week of October every single year. Yep. So if you've never been, throw that on your calendar and make sure you show up for this. And that's work Cody and his staff handle for the expo in October. Now for the work he does for the other 362 days out of the year. We're technically considered a 600-acre research farm. We do a ton of research with the universities, with multiple different seed companies, fertilizer companies, chemical companies, irrigation companies, people that want to test equipment out, planters. You know, it's just literally every aspect of farming. We can do that type of research on this farm. It's awesome that people can just come out here and see those many different things going on at one time. There's an educational component of what the farm does beyond the experiments. I have northerners that are always at this show. They come down, and I want to see peanuts being picked. You know, more people than you would think think peanuts, because it's a nut, grows on a tree. Right, right. (laughs) They don't know it grows under the ground. So we go out there and say, hey, you know, you're looking at peanuts right here. Okay, these are peanuts that have not been turned yet to be ready to pick. They're under the ground. These are peanuts that are under the ground. Yeah. And watching them... Their facial expressions when you run that plow through there and turn those peanuts from under the ground to on top of the ground, and then you run that picker through there and see them in that basket, and then they get dumped in that trailer, and then they end up at the grocery store. Yeah, People do not understand that, and it is crazy just to explain that process to people and and see how it gets from, from the seed to the grocery store and the entire process. And talking with Cody, I got an education myself about cotton grown right here in my own home state. People think, okay, yeah, Georgia grows a lot of cotton, right? Okay, there's multiple different kinds of cotton. First of all, you got different companies. Within those companies, you've got different varieties. Some are root knot nematode. Some are made for more vigor. You know, there's just several different characteristics within each company, and there's six, seven main companies that, you know, have seed for producers to buy to grow cotton, it's crazy when, when you break everything down, you know, people think that, you know, a lot of people joke and say, you know, as a farmer, oh, he's got a nice truck. And he just rides around all day and makes all this money. <laughs> you know, it's more of a gamble than it is anything, if you ask my opinion on it. You just mentioned two words talking about cotton that I bet a lot of people listening to this have no idea what they mean. Nematode and vigor. Can you give us a definition of those? So, so root not nematodes, you know. It's crazy to think that that something down in the ground can affect the root system on a plant so much and affect the yield that you can visually see. You know, like I said, we do all this research out here and and we'll plant six rows of cotton in a nematode field that is, you know, nematode resistant, the variety, and then six rows that is not nematode resistant. And you can pick out to the row without knowing anything about anything. Something's wrong with these six rows and something's looks normal with these six rows, you know. That's a little bit about root knot nematode. Now, vigor, that more or less goes along with, you know, your soil type that you're planting in. If you're planting in some clay, the ground's really hard. 
cotton seed's really little, so you're going to have a struggle to get that seed to come up through that clay. You want something with high vigor, you know, that, that gets out the ground quick and gets up and starts growing. The yield might not necessarily be as good, but if that seed don't ever come up, guess what your yield's going to be? Doesn't matter anyway. Zero. Zero. <laughs> so, um, you know, you're planting in some better soils. Maybe you're not necessarily worried about the vigor. You want to you know, you're worried about the sustainability of the plant. You know, it, it stands up better if it gets loaded down and, and the wind blows, you know, and stuff like that. So there's just several different different characteristics of a cotton plant. And, you know, it's crazy how they can genetically modify these these plants it's so to do certain things. It's so easy to to take for granted that food just shows up in the grocery store. And you could probably rattle off statistics better than me. I forget the, the percentage of the population that worked on a farm if you go 100 right. years back. And now that's down to like 2%, if even that, of people that have any exposure, regular working exposure to, right. to farm operation. And so people don't realize how much constant innovation, experimentation, you know, discovering new things, recognizing problems, and then trying to find something, something to, to uh, overcome those challenges exactly. uh, to get our yields higher, to, to make things a little more stable, because crop stability in general, not to be overly dramatic, but it's a national security issue. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, and, so, yeah. and another point I like to bring up to people, I get asked this all the time, you know, what, what is something that you really love about your job? And I feel like our purpose here, you know, I keep bringing up this research thing. Give me something on a small scale to go out and try to figure out if it works or not before I give the farmer that's growing 2,000 acres of this cotton and has never seen it, doesn't know what it's going to do. Let let the smaller guy over here that, that's here for research, let me grow it, let me test it, let the companies come look at it. And then when we figure out, hey, this is a good variety right here, you know. Then we'll give it to the upsell guys. I don't want to see anybody fail, you know. And, right. And I I love having that opportunity to try new things, whether it's good or bad. We know, you know, you got to right. figure it out. So so I really love that that aspect of my job as well. An interesting smaller event that takes place each year on the expo grounds is what they call field day. It reinforced for me how collaborative the ag industry is compared with other corporate industries. In July, the end of July every year, we have what we call our field day. And the field day is, we sometimes call it a mini expo, but it's nowhere near that large. But the whole purpose of it is, is to get local farmers. When I say local, I'm talking local as in Florida farmers, Alabama farmers, you know, <laughs> local states. Not just down um, the road. Anything that's within yeah. traveling distance, you know. And to get them on this farm, and we have all of our companies that are doing research on the farm, they are at their plots. They are sitting there with their signs, with their data, with, with a ready to give a presentation so when these farmers come through they can say look this is how my cotton is this is what my varieties yielded versus all the other companies this is what my fungicide did on these peanuts versus these other companies you know and and just explain to them and, and get the information out there maybe these farmers may have never even heard of this chemical before you know so and it, it's like a it's a one-on-one basis just like me and you're sitting here and talking the farmer can sit right here with a with a any type of rep you know, like I say, it could be chemical, fertilizer, seed, a pivot company, you know, and just sit right there and have a one-on-one relationship and, and find out information that they may not know about or get more information about something that they do already know about, you know. And like I say, it's a one-day event. How many but, people show up when they when they do you that? You know, typically on a, on a really good year, we'll have two or three hundred farmers come oh, wow. through here. Okay, and, and the companies obviously love to see the more the merrier. 
So I think to, I think a lot of people would probably think that farmers like try to hold on to trade secrets, almost like you know corporations do. But I've I've already you know discovered in in my experience in, in agricultural communities in South Georgia, it's very fraternal as far as everybody wants everyone else to do well. There may be a little friendly competition for who gets the best yield or you know farmer of the year, those kinds of things in in local communities. That's the source of pride. There's you right. know there's still there's still some uh, friendly competition. Like oh yeah, for sure. But for the most part. If somebody finds something that works and helps them get a better yield, they want the industry, they want the other growers of that crop to also do well and benefit from that. So that's just a perfect example of exactly. Of that. You know, and then like like you say, all the farmers are here mingling together, so you yeah. know they're talking about their own practices amongst right. each other, and 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 as a whole, I would say nobody wants to see it, see another one fail. No, um, no, no. So so you made a good point there. Yes. Cody took me out for a ride through the facility and on the farm, where we talked about the different aspects of the property he manages. As we've described, some of what he does is specifically for demos at the expo, while other fields are used for research. You mentioned that one of the purposes, you got the experiment aspect of the farm, but that you've got essentially the demo aspect of the farm. You are growing crops specifically to be harvested or in other ways processed on the actual grounds in the field with the machinery and the equipment that's that's on display here. So what's, I guess what's the if there's a most exciting thing, <laughs> the, the you know, biggest the, attention getter. The hay fields are better known as the forage. It, it draw, draws a a lot of attention during the show. You know, it's, the hay does. Yes, the hay over um, the peanuts and the cotton. Yes, it does. Okay. Um, you know, and it's awesome to see six, eight, ten different cutters, hay cutters, mm-hmm. running through the field at once. You know, and you got you got four processes of getting hay up. You have to cut it, then you have to tet it, which is what stirs it around, lets the air get underneath it, let it dry properly. Then you have to rake it, put it in a windrow, and then you obviously take the hay baler through there, and that's what puts it in the round rolls. And to have, you know, anywhere from six, eight to ten of those different manufacturers, pieces of equipment running at one time and just sitting there and watching that, that is a sight to see. That's it's amazing. The, the the steps you just went through for cutting hay and putting it in the bale, and hay, you know, I'm sure some people just look at it and say, "Oh, look, it's hay. What's the big deal?" But the, all the <laughs> all the steps. It's a process. <laughs> it's a process. Yes, it is. You but know, that, that's, and, and that's the big exciting thing at the for the for the demo at the expo. The that's hay. right. And uh, you know, some of these these guys get out here and, and they like to have somewhat of a friendly competition and see who can bail the fastest. You know, we throw the flag down and we let we let all these companies start at the same spot in the field and, and who can make the make the first bail and, and do it efficiently and you know So you have the expo uh, games out here, huh? Yes, yes. Unofficial games. <laughs> no gold medal at the end, yes. just uh, bragging rights. That's right. Uh, so it's it, it is definitely a sight to see if you have never seen it. I recommend you coming out and, and witnessing that at least one time in your life. All right, I'm looking at a sign that says the 2019 Expo Corn Starter Fertilizer Trial Results. So what, what, tell me about that one, because so that's, the, that's one of the experiments you run, I guess? The starter fertilizer starts at planting. I mean, you're literally fertilizing well, the seed starter that, fertilizer. that hasn't even <laughs> came out of the ground yet, yeah. making sure that 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 fertilizer is there as soon as that plant needs it to start taking up from day one to get off to a great start because if you don't ever get off to a good start you're not going to have good end results so yeah we did like i said we do multiple different type of research trials out here we're looking at one now that you know we we replicate two to three times and we run 
multiple different rates of fertilizers for different companies, for specific companies. And at the end of the day, we just get the yield and, and see what exactly works best. And just um, publish the results to everybody. It's publish so, the results if if the company is oh, okay with sure, it. Normally, sure. we, we, you know, we, we, yes, exactly. We, we let the company decide if they want us to publicize a little bit. We may, but normally the results are confidential. Okay. Um, and then the, the companies themselves take the data from there and publicize okay, themselves. Okay, so that is, that's an example of one that's helping companies make better products. They're, you're getting them a field trial, essentially. Exactly. Uh, which will ultimately help farmers because once yes. they have a superior product, then that'll be something that gets used in the field. Correct. Okay. Yep, that's right. Try it out here before the farmer tries it on his farm. Right, so you're doing stuff to educate the farmers what works best, but you're also doing stuff to help companies with their R&D. With inside themselves, yes. Okay. Yes. I learned from Cody and from Chip Blaylock that the experimentation that happens right there in Moultrie, Georgia, has some far-reaching effects that go well beyond just southwest Georgia as a region, or even beyond the state lines of Georgia itself. Talk about the, I guess, the impact, and, and, and if you've got an example of how far-reaching it can be. You guys are doing things here in Moultrie when you experiment on five acres so that someone doesn't have to yeah. fail on 5,000 acres. Right. That's, that's a great <laughs> um, summary. Uh, talk about the, maybe if you got a specific example, uh, give us give us something that, that had a, a practical impact and how far-reaching those things are because you guys are just doing a lot of good work here outside of those three days in October. You bet. And basically what we do at Field Day in July is show the crops in the growing stages, show that technology that I mentioned. Seed varieties have changed so much over the years, and, and I think the work that we do here and on all experiment stations and research farms, once we figure out which of the new varieties are best, then they get turned loose into the marketplace. And let's say cotton, for example, it'll end up in cotton fields in Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, Tennessee, even toward, you know, Mississippi and the Delta. You know, we've seen peanuts migrate a little more west throughout the years. Texas has always grown peanuts, but just in the last 10 or 15 years, Mississippi and Arkansas have started growing peanuts. That's because we've worked with the scientists to develop varieties that adapt to the different soils, you know, like in, in, the, in the Mississippi Delta and in the upper Delta in Arkansas where peanuts are grown now. Well, we talked about the past and the history and the heritage, but let's talk about the future because I understand that there's at least some conversations and kind of some, I guess, strategic planning for how things need to evolve for the, the next generation. And especially with, and you already referenced, the decreasing number of people that work on a farm. And so we've got fewer and fewer people that understand what's involved in farming. And so it ends up being kind of this information gap mm -hmm. uh, between those of us who live in rural communities. And we know that peanuts grow in the ground and not on trees, et cetera. <laughs> and then folks in the city that if they've got no exposure to rural areas, they think their food comes from a grocery store and that's it. So talk about what, what the future is for making sure that that message, because you guys have become quite ambassadors for agriculture as an industry right. and the American farmer. So talk about some of the conversations and where things might go moving forward. You know, we've always advocated that Sunbelt Ag Expo is a great place for the consumers to come and see just exactly how that food magically appears in a grocery store. The cotton blue jeans and shirts magically appear in the department stores and, you know, the lumber appears in the hardware stores and so on and so forth. 
we did our strategic plan in 2019, and we came up with lots of great ideas that were put on hold because we had to cancel in 2020. We're looking forward to implementing some of that this year. You know, down the road, you know, we may have some take the show on the road, so to speak, and have some shows in in metropolitan areas to, uh, again, educate the public on where their food, fiber, and shelter comes from. So while the networking opportunities for farmers and the companies that serve their industry, as well as the experimentation that helps make farming more efficient and environmentally friendly, are incredibly important parts of the Sunbelt organization and their operations, you might be getting the idea that there's another aspect of the Sunbelt Ag Expo that they find very important, and that's educating the public. And by that, I mean the everyday consumer. That leads us to our discussion with another member of the team at the Sunbelt Ag Expo. Becca Turner, VP of Marketing and Public Relations at the Sunbelt Ag Expo. And Becca, let's let's go back. Where where were you uh, where were you from? Were you born and raised? I was actually born in a small community called Brooklet, Georgia. Okay. Which is outside of Statesboro, Bullitt County, where I grew up until I was, I guess, in early elementary school. We moved to Donaldsonville, Thomasville, Bainbridge. I actually graduated high school in Bainbridge, Georgia, then went to Athens for college, and then have been in Moultrie since. So you started in southeast Georgia, ended up in southwest Georgia, went to northeast Georgia, and here you Correct. are back. Correct. Correct. I grew up in Hinesville, so I know where oh, Brooklyn is. Yeah. <laughs> Not many people do. Actually, Stilson, if you want to get technical. Oh, goodness. No, I actually have heard of Stilson. <laughs> yes. Becca started her career working as the art director at the Colquitt County Arts Center and was then a professor at the Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, where she started the Agriculture Communications Degree Program before coming to the Sunbelt Ag Expo in 2017. So to talk about, I guess you've had agriculture, you know, this is not just a, another marketing job for you. It's something that you're clearly passionate about. So talk about what it means to, to be the yeah, person on the um, staff here. You know, my family has, has strong ag roots. My dad farmed, my grandparents farmed on both sides of the family. And then my dad went into more of a retail side. But I always had that in my background. We grew up showing livestock with my brother and sister. We traveled all over the country doing that. And now my children show livestock. So we're still involved in that realm. And so, you know, my original, if if I look back and think about what my original goals in life were when I was, you know, a teenager, I really wanted to be an ag lobbyist, but life just didn't take me in that direction. So marketing and public relations was the next best thing. And, you know, there's nothing better than telling the story of, of agriculture, whether it be from some small mom and pop farm or whether it be from some large perspective, whether it be, you know, a company or a large corporate farm, all of those stories are all very important to what we have as our history in agriculture. After hearing her passion for agriculture, I asked Becca about the importance of the story of agriculture and its role in everyday life, and specifically the role of the Sunbelt Ag Expo in that overall story. You know, the story of ag is so very important. The mention of there used to be so many more people involved in agriculture, so many more families, so many more children that were involved. And so when they came to school, they knew what a combine was or a tractor was or that their eggs didn't just come from the grocery store, that they came from, you know, the hen house out back. And, you know, not to to date this or anything, but but now children go to school and the majority of them, we assume that they know that, but they really don't. Shifting a little bit, so many companies that we deal with sometimes don't understand the importance of that story and how that story gets told because they forget that there's all these children that will one day hopefully be their customers, whether it be to buy 
a small lawn tractor or something to mow the grass, or whether it be some, you know, big 4,500 or, you know, some huge, enormous tractor. So telling that story becomes important at all levels. You know, many people think, oh, I don't need to go to the expo because I'm not a farmer or because, you know, I'm not, you know, harvesting cotton or digging peanuts. You know, that's someone else's job. I don't need to be there. But what's so unique about this particular farm show, and all farm shows have, you know, the wonderful aspects, but what's so unique about this one is the fact that not only do we have demonstrations going on in the field, which is why we have Expo in October, so that we can show those harvest demonstrations. But there are so many different sections here at the Expo that really do feature and touch on those different stories, whether it be, you know, what's going on in the sheep and goat area or what's going on over in the aquaculture area and talking about weeds in your pond or how to cook, you know, a healthy catfish filet, whether it be something over in the automotive area, not just about buying a new car, or a new truck, but what is it that we can learn over in that area about how things are progressing and how, you know, maybe we can be a bit more environmentally friendly if it is that. You know, they bring the honeybees, and so they talk about how you could actually incorporate those into your backyard. The backyard gardening area, not sure if you're familiar with Farmer Fredo out of Albany, but Farmer Fredo and Flint River Fresh, they manage our garden all year and come expo time it's a beautiful display of not only these wonderful flowers but how you can set up your own area in your backyard with just a small minimal space and it seems as though that's becoming more and more important to people as they maybe want to get back to their roots so telling the story of agriculture becomes even more important because how are we now incorporating that into our health While the Expo could easily be looked at as just a farm show that focuses on vendors with something to sell, connecting with farmers needing equipment or services from those vendors, there's just so much more to it. Perhaps because of its roots as a college recruiting event, Sunbelt Ag Expo has always focused on education, and Becca has recently started some new programs for young people to further enhance that educational aspect of the event. Those that are familiar with 4-H and FFA may be familiar with career development events or events that test their knowledge on particular subject areas or content areas. So in 2018 would have been our first year that we offered youth educational opportunities, primarily what we call the challenges, the youth challenges. They are just simply content area tests that take the students anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes to complete. They can choose just one, or they can compete in all five content areas, ag mechanics, animal science, environmental natural resources, wildlife, and I think horticulture. I may be missing one that's important. But they can compete in these different content areas that are part of ag education curriculum. There is a junior and a senior level competition, and at the end... Once everything's graded, the top three students in each content area, in each age category, receive cash prizes. And that contest is sponsored by Country Financial. They are extremely dedicated to youth education, especially in agriculture. And they are one of those vendors that I was mentioning earlier that really grasps the idea of these younger people being so important to the future of agriculture. So the Youth Educational Challenges are one of those opportunities that we offer Also, we offer what's called the Ag Mechanics Contest, and that is something that is put on by Farm Credit of Georgia, and they actually allow students to bring really 
technical masterpieces, metal, wood, created masterpieces that they've made beforehand. They bring them here, they're judged, and they also give them cash prizes. New this year, we will have a contest that is sponsored by Georgia Farm Bureau, which is something that we're very excited about, and we've been working on it for over over two years now. We'd originally planned to launch it in 2020. Since we weren't able to have a show, we didn't, but it really gave us a chance to really make the program great. And this is something that I'm really excited about because not only does it involve high school students, but it involves college students. That will be the two age categories, high school and college. Those students will submit a video prior to Expo based on a prompt that they are given. And then those videos will be judged by the panel and the top three groups in each age category will be invited to Expo to actually participate with some lobbyists and those within the ag industry to talk about where the industry is headed, how it is that we can advocate for our industry that we love so much, and then they will have the opportunity to participate with some other future events with Georgia Farm Bureau if they're selected as the winner. So this is a great networking opportunity for these students and especially those that end up going on to be the winners. After hearing about the new programs focusing on education, I asked Becca what else has been added or changed with the Expo in recent years. The backyard gardening section is newer, as in within the last five to six years, and that is based on a shift in what people are interested in. Because you've got a shift in people to want to grow a more healthy, maybe organic product that they provide their family, so we do offer that as an outlet. You know, certainly the automotive area has always been something that's been part of Expo, or for as long as I'm aware, it's it's always been a, a huge part of Expo. And again, it used to be larger, but just as with farmers, there's not as many big dealerships that actually, you know, have large trucks anymore. They may just focus on the the smaller cars, and so that you know that area is not as large as it used to be. The Georgia Girl Marketplace is a new area that we added in 2019. The Georgia Grown Marketplace features Georgia Grown vendors, and this year, in fact, it's nearly double the size that we had in 2019 as a way for those vendors to showcase their products and really get out there and and show the attendees that, that they have a quality product to offer. And many that have attended in the past said, gosh, you know, I, I really boosted my business by being here and letting people know that I existed in other places and where we were. So that's something very exciting. We have a stage that those participants can actually get up and and do a a few demonstrations and and feature their products. So we're excited about that. The schedule this time has some really great featured products on it. So we're looking forward to that. You know, as far as other retail, truly retail outside of farming, we have four agribusiness buildings. And while many of those companies that are located in those agribusiness buildings truly do represent agribusiness, there's others that don't necessarily represent so much agriculture, but more business in general. So, you know, a lot of your technology companies are located in there, whether it, you know, be something with finance and telephones or, you know, data, anything that might help you just as your family reaching others or or anything like that. There's t-shirt vendors, more food vendors, you know, boats, knives, uh, you make sure there's something for calls, everybody. Calls, something for everybody. <laughs> yes. Chip always jokes and says, you know, the expo is really, truly something for everybody, but it is. Yeah. There's really lots for people to see. You know, we sell a three-day ticket and certainly don't sell as many three-day tickets as we do one-day tickets. 
But if you truly want to see all of Expo, then you need it's to be take here more three than days. one day. Yeah, yeah. So it's focused on farmers, but not exclusive. Absolutely. <laughs> and more and more, we see families that take a trip just to make sure that they hit certain areas. You know, something that we haven't touched on that goes back to the youth. You know, a lot of school groups come here and those teachers bring those school groups here, not just for a generic field trip to drop them off the bus and, hey, y'all meet back up at three o'clock. But we have, you know, 12, 13 different colleges here on on the grounds during Expo, recruiting, giving information, truly helping those students make an informed decision about where they want to go to college. Anymore, it's hard to miss school. It's hard to go visit University of Georgia or Clemson or South Carolina or University of Florida or Auburn or you know, Fort Valley or even ABAC, sometimes it's just not easy to get away and take a college tour. So here you brought all the colleges to one but place. But you can yeah. come here and truly get a feel for what those colleges have to offer. And many students don't realize that. So at least come here and narrow some of them down, decide what you maybe don't like, and then right. go visit the others and save some money. So it really does truly offer that educational background and, and fulfilling our mission. You've talked about several of the things that have kind of come online or come a part of the Sunbelt Ag Expo recently. I guess what's in the pipeline? What does the, what does the future hold? We weren't able to have a 2020 Sunbelt Ag Expo, obviously because of the pandemic. But as the excitement's building for 2021 and even in years coming, what, what can we expect to see? Right. Well, you know, it's interesting, and, and I want to hit on something. So many companies have told us, gosh, we made as much in 2020 as we have any other year, and we haven't been to trade shows. But yet we're coming because what we're missing is that interaction with people. And what they're worried about is long-term relationships and loyalty by people, and that can only be established in relationships. So coming to these places is important to them, and it's an important part of, you know, it's important that we continue the expo for those reasons as well, not just for that economic impact or to give people something to come and be educated by, but really to help those companies keep those relationships. Many of these companies feature demonstrations at their booths. And two that I want to mention specifically outside of the, all of the other educational demonstrations that we do is there's fence building demonstrations. You know, some of us don't think about something like that as necessarily being farming, but right. even in our own backyard, sometimes we put up our own fences. So Beckert, which is a fence company, they do fence demonstrations all week. And it's really interesting to see the people. Usually it's not farmers that are at their booth right. looking at those fence <laughs> demonstrations. Someone um, wants to secure things in a backyard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> anyone. And then another one that I really want to mention is Prefert. Prefert has livestock panels, livestock handling equipment. So certainly this is for people that that have livestock, but they're doing what's called the Great American Shootout. And they're actually featuring livestock shoots at their booth that aren't their brand, not as a way to show that theirs is better, but truly to educate the public and allow those people to see how they operate and what the differences are and for them to make their own choice about which one would operate best on their own farm. Now tell everybody that has no idea what you're talking about what a livestock shoot is. So what a livestock (laughs) shoot is, you know, basically when you, when an animal is sick or when you have to treat an animal or say give it some sort of identification, then you're going to have to have a safe way to handle that animal in order to be able to administer that medication. You know, imagine, makes me think of going to my 
my children's doctor's appointments when they were less than a year old or maybe even two years old and tried to hold them down, you know, to, to get whatever necessary medications they had to have. So this is similar to that in that it's very non-invasive. It's just a way to hold those animals still, not only to protect the animal, but to protect the humans. And so it's a, it's a shoot that you just hold the animal in and it keeps them enclosed so that the proper things can be done to help keep that animal healthy. I can see people not knowing and hearing the words livestock shoot and think that you've got guns and shooting livestock. <laughs> no, shoot as in C-H-U-T-E. <laughs> Just wanted to make sure. Yeah, And so, and, and actually Prefert will be doing more safe handling demonstrations throughout the entire three days of the expo, not just during that Great American Shootout. So we want to make sure that people participate in that as a way to to learn what they may need. So being able to look at a vendor that recognizes that it's not always about selling my own thing, but promoting the industry in general is really a breath of fresh air. In my research and conversations about the expo for this episode, I found that the attendance in recent years for the three-day event can be between 70 and 75,000 people. For reference, the population of Moultrie, Georgia, where the event is held each year, is a little over 14,000. After learning the importance of the expo to the agriculture industry and exploring its far-reaching impacts and education efforts to the public, I asked Chip, Becca, and Cody to talk about the more localized economic impact that the expo has on Moultrie and the surrounding area. Part of our strategic plan in 2019 and also in involved an economic impact survey where we have a $16 million economic impact on the 20-county area surrounding Moultrie and Cockwood County. We call it Metropolitan Cockwood County. <laughs> you know, Moultrie doesn't have the hotel rooms to accommodate everybody, so we basically fill up everything within a 50 to 60-mile radius, and it's a big economic boom for the region during the three days of the show. You know, last year when we canceled, about $150,000 worth of payroll wasn't infused into the into the region with our seasonal workers that come in and help during the show. In addition to that, we have events throughout the year. We do our field day in July. We have two arts and crafts shows, one in November and one in March. We do we lease the grounds out for two car shows, one in November and one in April of 22. We have various dealer meetings, industry meetings throughout the year. Various companies have their own field days throughout the year. They have producer meetings. Sometimes they have dealer and producer meetings together where they bring their dealers and farmers in to have some one-on-one time with them. And we utilize our fields, like for our hay fields, to do hay demos you know, with companies that want to come in and do dealer trainings and or producer trainings on their equipment. So we we're, we're always have something going on throughout the 52 weeks of the year. Well, you know, it's interesting before the road in front of us was four-laned and then the bypass that goes around Moultrie was there. You know, I would I would dare say people in the community probably didn't always welcome the three days of the expo. <laughs> the three uh, days of it, massive traffic. <laughs> because, you know, used to those roads went straight through downtown Moultrie and came here. So there are pictures, old black and white photos that I've seen of people just lined up for miles and miles and miles yeah. that and uh, business owners standing outside their shop, you know, just watching this traffic that was all headed here to the expo. And so sometimes we hear, well, golly, the expo is not as big as it used to be because we don't see the, the traffic that we used to see. 
well, we then forget that right, you control transportation <laughs> has, has changed. And certainly we're grateful for, you know, the police department and sheriff's department, and Georgia State Patrol for helping us to to navigate some of that right. traffic yeah. because it, it certainly has been helpful that the Department of Transportation has improved those the way the roads travel. But, you know, thinking back to what it means to this community, I think the expo is one of those things where it's easy to forget that it's coming, but when it's not here, everybody notices. Yes, it bolsters, you know, what we like to consider a 20-county region. You know, when you're looking at the economic impact study, it it shows a a $16 million boost just within, you know, that short amount of time, which to some may not seem like a, a lot of impact, but when you think about three days that's enormous. Right. Um, it, it's it's sometimes unfathomable to think about that. You know, not only are restaurants and hotels sold out and busy for you know many of the surrounding counties. You know, they are here in Moultrie as well. A lot of your business owners will tell you that they make their year during Expo. So when we didn't have the show last year, they were hurting and they felt it for quite some time. Again, it, it's hard to forget that it's coming. But when it's not here, everybody notices. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, You know, I think Moultrie is very fortunate to be able to have this event here. It's kind of like a hub for for agriculture almost. You know, you bring people that don't know about agriculture and people that do know about agriculture all into one small area, you know, and it's right here in Moultrie, Georgia. And I think think Colquitt County is very fortunate to have that in Moultrie as well. You're talking about the the economic impact. There's obviously no hotels in Moultrie. Yeah. There's no hotels in Adel. There's no hotels in Tifton, Thomasville, Albany, Valdosta. I mean, all these towns. Now, no. Now, now let's clarify that there are hotels in all those places, but you're not, not available. You're not going to get a room uh, in in that week of October. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. They're all booked up. I remember as a kid. You know, I'm from Tifton. Still live there, and. Going out to eat on a Friday night, you know, the week before or the week after, right after Expo, you know, I mean, it's just people everywhere. (laughs) I mean, there's people everywhere. And not only is that with the Expo, you know, car shows are really big deal, huge deal, same, same impact, you know. So I think just this site in general brings, you know, the events that we have here bring so much impact to surrounding counties. It's just a great place to have this. Since Chip has been with the Sunbelt Ag Expo organization for so long, and he had the opportunity to work with some of the founding fathers of this iconic event, I asked him for his reflections on the legacy of what started so small and has become such a big deal. What would you think? I'm going to get you to reflect a little bit. You know, you've got essentially a, some, some key people that started this first at ABAX campus mm-hmm. and then uh, using an old unused airfield. <laughs> yep. Do you think they had any idea? what impact they would have years out into the future that we're, we're doing all this? I think so. I think Dr. Burnside, he was such a forward thinker. You know, I found notebooks with itineraries where he took producers on field trips, but they were to like Kansas or overseas. They went to the Farm Progress Show back in 76, 77 to see how to model the Sunbelt Ag Expo, and we still work closely with those folks. Our show is actually coming up next week, and we share ideas freely. It's a competition. We tease about who's got the biggest and the biggest show and so forth. But in the end, we're all working together to make life better on the farm. So, I, you know, I think Dr. Joe Burnside, Dr. Ed White, who came on after him, those guys were visionaries as we are today. 
and we've really taken the show to, you know, to the next level. And I think they'd really be proud of the work that we've done. You know, we lost Dr. White in 97. We lost Dr. Burnside in 98. But they're still, you know, you can look in the hallways here and we have plaques in their honor. We still do what we do to continue to build on that history that they started that actually really started all the way back in 1964 and then rebooted at RDC in, in Tifton in the early 70s. And then the Sunbelt Ag Expo came to life in 1978. And then here we are 44 years later. Still going strong. Still going strong. All right, I'm back in the uh, the tasting room at Park Vineyards with my good friend Chris Ball. Chris, hello. Uh, and you've you've selected a wine now. Yes, I have a wine. <laughs> so it's now today's that, wine. Now that you're at the end of the episode, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Can't drink at the beginning. That's right. So what's today's? So today we have Juliet. Okay. And yeah, Juliet is our semi sweet white muscadine. That's right. We had uh, Jacob last time, and so this is the uh, the white version essentially. This is the cup. That's right. So this this completes the couple. I that's guess. Right. Yeah. That's right. All say. right. Well, let's drink to Juliet. To then. Juliet. To Mama Judy. That's right, the Mama Judy. So, like I mentioned, we have six Muscadine wines that are named after family members. And so Jacob was our red, Juliet's the white of that couple. Those are Mm semi-sweet. Hugo and Pearl were her parents, and those are our semi-dry Muscadine wines. Okay, red and white. Red and white. So the red wines are named after those men in the family and then the white wines are named after those women okay and so the so semi-dry is hugo and pearl semi-sweet or jacob and juliet and then we have sweet muscadine wines and those are lot and rachel okay those were jacob's parents okay yeah well i'm enjoying this very much as i always do so mm-hmm. thanks for giving me the tip. I learned a lot about the Sunbelt Ag Expo. I actually uh, had to confess to them, I've, I've heard about it for years, but I've never actually been. I'm actually going no to be there this year. Okay. Uh, so I look forward to that. And I know you guys have actually gone. Uh, oh, my goodness. You've gone for I don't know how many years you've gone. I know you've actually more recently taken your products. Yep. You can't yeah. sell the wine there. No, you can't sell the wine. <laughs> but can't you can the take wine. it on display and you sell your juices and jellies. That's but, right. That's but right. But what, I mean, what? Did, how long, how far back have you got memories of it? Going, did you go as a child or anything? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like muscadines. There's a rich history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, the Sunbelt Ag Expo has a rich history here in Georgia. And I can remember going... You know, Papa Jacob, he would go, he loved going to that show because he would get ideas about, oh, I need to take this and tweak that and modify this, you know, being the engineer that he that he was. And so it was a, a great way to either find something new that you needed yeah, or get an idea about how to modify or grow something in a different way, you know, to be better. Well, what was so striking to me, and we actually talked about this on the episode about your family's business, is the, the amount of collaboration you would think that people would see each other as competitors, but it very much is a, a networking. How do we make the entire industry? How do we help mm-hmm. each other out? Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the spirit of uh, not only the expo as an event, but the things that happen on that campus, uh, on the yeah. farm, That's right. uh, year-round, as far as some of the experiments they do that help people grow things mm-hmm. better, or in some cases grow things in places where they hadn't been grown before. So it was, yeah. it was a really cool yeah. story. So, yeah. so thanks for uh, thanks for pointing me in the direction of the Sunbelt Ag Expo. Oh, and, yeah. And I, I, and I guess I'll see you there this year, right? So. Hey. We'll be there. We'll be there. That's right. Not too far away. It's coming up. That's right. All right. Well, I'm not leaving because i got to finish this wine, but I'll I'll sign off with everybody, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Green Shoots and see where Chris Park sends me next. Yeah. Enjoy. All right. I want to thank all of you so much for listening to this episode of Green Shoots, 
about my new friends at the Sunbelt Ag Expo. I'll be there this year, and now that I know what a big deal it is, you can probably find me there every year for years to come. I'll have new episodes about other green shoot stories of rural revitalization, so stay tuned for upcoming episodes. To make sure you know when the latest green shoot story is available for you to hear, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or go to our website, www.greenshootspodcast.org. Until then, keep your eyes out for the green shoots in your community, and maybe I'll see you around in the Paul Vineyards tasting room.